Section 3 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 18. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Faith Ann Gibson. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 18. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 3. Christopher Crotchet, Singing Master. By Seba Smith. Your New England country singing master is a peculiar character. Who shall venture to describe him? During his stay in a country village, he is the most important personage in it. The common schoolmaster, to be sure, is a man of dignity and importance. Children never pass him on the road without turning square round, pulling off their hats, and making one of their best and most profound bows. He is looked up to with universal deference by both young and old, and is often invited out to tea. Or, if he boards round, great is the parade and great the preparation by each family when their week for boarding the master draws near. Then, not unfrequently, a well-fatted porker is killed, and the spare ribs are duly hung round the pantry in readiness for roasting. A half-bushel of sausages are made up into links, and suspended on a pole near the ceiling from one end of the kitchen to the other. And the Saturday beforehand, if the schoolmaster's to come Monday, the work of preparation reaches its crisis. Then it is that the old oven, if it be not heaten seven times hotter than it is wont to be, is at least heated seven times, and apple pies and pumpkin pies and mince pies are turned out by dozens and packed away in closet and cellar for the coming week. And the forerun, which has not had a fire in it for the winter, is now duly washed and scrubbed and put to rights, and wood is heaped on the fire with a liberal hand till the room itself becomes almost another oven. George is up betimes on Monday morning to go with his hand sled and bring the master's trunk. Betsy and Sally are rigged out in their best calico gowns. The little ones have their faces washed and their hair combed with more than ordinary care, and the mother's cap has an extra crimp. And all this stir and preparation for the common schoolmaster, and he is but an everyday planet that moves in a regular orbit and comes round at least every winter. But the singing master is your true comet. Appearing at no regular intervals, he comes suddenly and often unexpected, brilliant, mysterious, and erratic. No wonder that he attracts all eyes and produces a tremendous sensation. Not only the children, but the whole family flock to the windows when he passes, and a face may be seen at every pane of glass, eagerly peering out to catch a glimpse of the singing master. Even the very dogs seem to partake of the awe he inspires, and bark with uncommon fierceness whenever they meet him. Oh, father, said little Jimmy Brown, as he came running into the house on a cold December night, with eyes staring wide open and panting for breath. Oh, father! Mr. Christopher Crotchet from Quavertown is over to Mr. Gibbs's tavern. Come to see about keeping singing school. And Mr. Gibbs and a whole parcel more of them want you to come right over, cause they're going to have a meeting this evening to see about hiring of him. Squire Brown and his family, all except Jimmy, were seated round the supper table when this interesting piece of intelligence was announced. Everyone save Squire Brown himself gave a sudden start and at once suspended operations. But the squire, who was a very moderate man and never did anything from impulse, ate on without turning his head or changing position. After a short pause, however, which was a moment of intense anxiety to some members of the family, he replied to Jimmy as follows. I shan't do no such thing. If they want a singing school, they may get it themselves. A singing school won't do us no good, and I've ways enough to spend my money without paying it for singing. Turning his head round and casting a severe look upon Jimmy, he proceeded with increasing energy. Now, sir, hang your hat up and sit down and eat your supper. I should like to know what sent you off to the tavern without leave. I wanted to see the singing master, said Jimmy. Sam Gibbs said there was a singing master over to their house, and so I wanted to see him. 
well i'll singing master you said the squire if i catch you to go off so again without leave come don't stand there sit down and eat your supper or i'll trounce you in two minutes there i declare said mrs brown i do think it too bad i do wish i could live in peace one moment of my life the children will be spoilt and ruined they never can stir a step nor hardly breathe but what they must be scalded and fretted to death squire brown had been accustomed to these sudden squalls about twenty-five years they having commenced some six months or so after his marriage and long experience had taught him that the only way to escape with safety was to bear away immediately and scud before the wind accordingly he turned again to jimmy and with a much softened tone addressed him as follows come jimmy my son sit down and eat your supper that's a good boy you shouldn't go away without asking your mother or me but you'll try to remember next time won't you jimmy and his mother were both somewhat soothed by this well-timed suavity and the boy took his seat at the table. Now, Pa, said Miss Jerusha Brown, you will go over and see about having a singing school, won't you? I want to go dreadfully. Oh, I can't do anything about that, said the squire. It'll cost a good deal of money, and I can't afford it. And besides, there's no use at all in it. You can sing enough now, any of you. You are singing half your time. There, said Mrs. Brown, that's just the way. Our children will never have a chance to be anything as long as they live. Other folks' children have a chance to go to singing school, and to see young company, and to be something in the world. And here's our Jerusha has got to be in her twenty-fifth year now, and if she's ever going to have young company and have a chance to be anything, she must have it soon, for she'll be past the time by and by for such things. Tisn't as if we was poor and couldn't afford it, for you know, Mr. Brown, you pay the largest tax of anybody in the town, and can afford to give the children a chance to be something as well as not. And as for living in this kind of way any longer, I've no notion on't. Mrs. Brown knew how to follow up an advantage. She had got her husband upon the retreat in the onset a moment before, in reference to Jimmy's absence, and the closing part of this speech was uttered with an energy and determination of which Squire Brown knew too well the import to disregard it. Perceiving that a storm was brewing that would burst upon his head with tremendous power, if he did not take care to avoid it, he finished his supper with all convenient dispatch, rose from the table, put on his greatcoat and hat, and marched deliberately over to Gibbs's tavern. Mrs. Brown knew at once that she had won the victory, and that they should have a singing school. The children also had become so well versed in the science of their mother's tactics that they understood the same thing, and immediately began to discuss matters preparatory to attending the school. Miss Jerusha said that she must have her new calico gown made right up the next day, and her mother said she should, and David might go right over after Betsy Davis to come work on it the next morning. How delightful it would be to have a singing school, said Miss Jerusha. Jimmy, what sort of a looking man is Mr. Crotchet? Oh, he is a slick kind of a looking man, said Jimmy. Is he a young man or a married man? inquired Miss Jerusha. Oh, married? No, I guess he isn't, said Jimmy. I don't believe he's more than twenty years old. Poh, I don't believe that story, said Jerusha. A singing master must be as much as twenty-five years old, I know. How is he dressed? Isn't he dressed quite genteel? Oh, he's dressed pretty slick, said Jimmy. Well, that's what makes him look so young, said Miss Jerusha. I dare say he's as much as twenty-five years old. Don't you think he is, mother? Well, I think it's pretty likely he is, said Mrs. Brown. Singing masters are generally about that age. How does he look, said Miss Jerusha. Is he handsome? He's handsome enough, said Jimmy, only he's got a red head and freckly face. Now, Jim, I don't believe a word you say. You are saying this only just to plague me. To understand the propriety of this last remark of Miss Jerusha, the reader should be informed that for the last ten years she had looked upon every young man who came into the place as her own peculiar property, 
and in all cases, in order to obtain possession of her aforesaid property, she had adopted prompt measures and pursued them with a diligence worthy of all praise. No, I ain't neither, said Jimmy. I say he has got a red head and freckly face. Ah, well, said Mrs. Brown. What if he has? I'm sure a red head don't look bad. And one of the handsomest men that I ever see had a freckly face. Well, Jimmy, how large is he? Is he a tall man or a short man? said Miss Jerusha. Why, he isn't bigger round than I, said Jimmy. And I guess he isn't quite as tall as a haypole. But he's so tall he has to stoop when he goes into the door. So far from adding to the shock which Miss Jerusha's nerves had already received from the account of the red head and the freckly face, this last piece of intelligence was on the whole rather consolatory, for she lacked but an inch and a half of six feet in height herself. Well, Jimmy, said Miss Jerusha, when he stands up, take him altogether. Isn't he a good-looking young man? I don't know anything about that, said Jimmy. He looks the most like the tongs in the riddle, of anything I can think of. Long legs and crooked thighs, little head and no eyes. There, Jim, you little plague, said Miss Jerusha. You shall go right off to bed if you don't leave off your nonsense. I won't hear another word of it. I don't care if you won't, said Jimmy. It's all true, every word of it. What, then the singing master hasn't got no eyes, has he? said Miss Jerusha. That's a pretty story. I don't mean he hasn't got no eyes at all, said Jimmy. Only his eyes are dreadful little, and you can't see but one of them to time, neither. They're twisted round so. A little cross-eyed, I suppose, said Mrs. Brown. That's all. I don't think that hurts the looks of a man. It only makes him look a little sharper. While these things were transpiring at Mr. Brown's, matters of weight and importance were being discussed at the tavern. About a dozen of the neighbors had collected there early in the evening, and everyone, as soon as he found that Mr. Christopher Crotchet from Quavertown was in the village, was for having a singing school forthwith, cost what it would. They accordingly proposed at once to ascertain Mr. Crotchet's terms. His proposals were to keep twenty evenings for twenty dollars and found, or for thirty dollars and board himself. The school was to be kept three evenings in a week. A subscription paper was opened, and the sum of fifteen dollars was at last made up. But that was the extent to which they could go. Not another dollar could be raised. Much anxiety was now felt for the arrival of Squire Brown, for the question of school or no school depended entirely on him. "'Squire Brown's got money enough,' said Mr. Gibbs. "'And if he only has the will, we shall have a school.' "'Not exactly,' said Mr. Jones. "'If Mrs. Brown has the will, we shall have a school. "'Let the squire's will be what it may.' "'Before the laugh occasioned by this last remark had fully subsided, "'Squire Brown entered, much to the joy of the whole company. "'Squire Brown, I'm glad to see you,' said Mr. Gibbs. "'Shall I introduce you to Mr. Christopher Crotchet, "'singing master from Quavertown?' "'The squire was a very short man, somewhat inclined to corpulence, "'and Mr. Crotchet, according to Jimmy's account, "'was not quite as tall as a haypole so that by dint of the squire's throwing his head back and looking up, and Mr. Crotchet's canting his head on one side in order to bring one eye to bear on the squire, the parties were brought within each other's field of vision. The squire made a bow, which was done by throwing his head upward, and Mr. Crotchet returned the compliment by extending his arm downward to the squire and shaking hands. When the ceremony of introduction was over, Mr. Gibbs laid the whole matter before Squire Brown, showed him the subscription paper, and told him they were all depending upon him now to decide whether they should have a singing school or not. Squire Brown put on his spectacles and read the subscription paper over two or three times, till he fully understood the terms and the deficiency in the amount subscribed. Then, without saying a word, he took a pin and deliberately subscribed five dollars. That settled the business. The desired sum was raised, and the school was to go ahead. It was agreed that it should commence on the following evening, and that Mr. Crotchet should board with Mr. Gibbs one week, and with the squire the next, and so go round through the neighborhood. 
On the following day, there was no small commotion among the young folks of the village in making preparation for the evening school. New singing books were purchased, dresses were prepared, curling tongs and crimping irons were put in requisition, and early in the evening the long chamber in Gibbs's tavern, which was called by way of eminence the hall, was well filled by youth of both sexes, the old folks not being allowed to attend that evening, lest the boys and gals should be diffident about sounding the notes. A range of long, narrow tables was placed round three sides of the hall, with benches behind them, upon which the youth were seated. A singing book and a candle were shared by two, all round the room, till you came to Miss Jerusha Brown, who had taken the uppermost seat, and monopolized a whole book and a whole candle to her own use. Betsy Buck, a lively, reckless sort of girl of sixteen, who cared for nobody nor nothing in this world, but was full of frolic and fun, had by chance taken a seat next to Miss Jerusha. Miss Betsy had a slight inward turn of one eye, just enough to give her a roguish look, that comported well with her character. While they were waiting for the entrance of the master, many a suppressed laugh, and now and then an audible giggle, passed round the room, the mere ebullitions of buoyant spirits and contagious mirth without aim or object. Miss Jerusha, who was trying to behave her prettiest, repeatedly chided their rudeness, and more than once told Miss Betsy Buck that she ought to be ashamed to be laughing so much, for— what would Mr. Cratchit think if he should come in and find them all of a giggle? After a while the door opened and Mr. Christopher Cratchit entered. He bent his body slightly as he passed the door to prevent a concussion of his head against the lintel, and then walked very erect into the middle of the floor and made a short speech to his class. His grotesque appearance caused a slight tittering round the room, and Miss Betsy was even guilty of an incipient audible laugh, which, however, she had the tact so far to turn into a cough as to save appearances. Still it was observed by Miss Jerusha, who told her again in a low whisper that she ought to be ashamed, and added that Mr. Crotchet was a most splendid man, a beautiful man. After Mr. Crotchet had made his introductory speech, he proceeded to try the voices of his pupils, making each one alone follow him in rising and falling the notes. He passed round without difficulty till he came to Miss Betsy Buck. She rather hesitated to let her voice be heard alone, but the master told her she must sound and holding his head down so close to hers that they almost met, he commenced pouring his fa-sol-law into her ear. Miss Betsy drew back a little, but followed with a low and somewhat tremulous voice, till she had sounded three or four notes, when her risable muscles got the mastery, and she burst out in an unrestrained fit of laughter. The master looked confused and cross, and Miss Jerusha looked even crosser than the master. She again reproached Miss Betsy for her rudeness, and told her in an emphatic whisper, which was intended more especially for the master's ear, that such conduct was shameful, and if she couldn't behave better, she ought to stay at home. Miss Jerusha's turn to sound came next, and she leaned her head full halfway across the table to meet the master's, and sounded the notes clear through, three or four times over, from bottom to top and from top to bottom, and sounded them with a loudness and strength full equal to that of the master. When the process of sounding the voices separately had been gone through with, they were called upon to sound together, and before the close of the evening they were allowed to commence the notes of some easy tunes. It is unnecessary here to give a detailed account of the progress that was made, or to attempt to describe the jargon of strange sounds with which Gibbs's hall echoed that night. Suffice it to say that the proficiency of the pupils was so great that on the tenth evening, or when the school was half through, the parents were permitted to be present, and were delighted to hear their children sing Old Hundred, Mere, St. Martin's, Northfield, and Hallowell, with so much accuracy that those who knew the tunes could readily tell every time which one was being performed. Miss Brown was almost in ecstasies at the performance, and sat the whole evening and looked at Jerusha, who sang with great earnestness and with a voice raised far above all the rest. Even Squire Brown himself was so much softened that evening that his face wore a sort of smile, 
and he told his wife he didn't grudge his five dollars a bit. The school went on swimmingly. Mr. Cratchit became the lion of the village, and Miss Jerusha Brown thought he improved upon acquaintance astonishingly. Great preparation was made at Squire Brown's for the important week of boarding the singing master. They outdid all the village in the quantity and variety of their eatables, and at every meal Miss Jerusha was particularly assiduous in placing all the good things in the neighborhood of Mr. Crotchet's plate. In fact, so bountifully and regularly was Mr. Crotchet stuffed during that week that his lank form began to assume a perceptible fullness. He evidently seemed very fond of his boarding place, especially at mealtime, and made himself so much at home that Mrs. Brown and Jerusha were in a state of absolute felicity the whole week. It was true he spent two evenings abroad during the week, and it was reported that one of them was passed at Mr. Buck's. But Miss Jerusha would not believe a word of such story. She said, There was no young folks at Mr. Buck's except Betsy, and she was sure Mr. Crotchet was a man of more sense than to spend his evenings with such a wild, rude thing as Betsy Buck. Still, however, the report gave her a little uneasiness, and when it was ascertained that during the week on which Mr. Crotchet boarded at Mr. Buck's, he spent every evening at home, except the three devoted to the singing school. Miss Jerusha's uneasiness evidently increased. She resolved to make a desperate effort to counteract these untoward influences and to teach Miss Betsy Buck not to interfere with other folks' concerns. For this purpose, she made a grand evening party and invited all the young folks of the village except Miss Buck, who was pointedly left out. The treat was elaborate for a country village, and Miss Jerusha was uncommonly assiduous in her attentions to Mr. Crotchet during the evening. But to her inexpressible surprise and chagrin, about eight o'clock, Mr. Crotchet put on his hat and greatcoat and bade the company good night. Miss Brown looked very blue, and Miss Jerusha's nerves were in a state of high excitement. What could it mean? She would give anything in the world to know where he had gone. She ran into the chamber and looked out from the window. The night was rather dark, but she fancied she saw him making his way toward Mr. Buck's. The company for the remainder of the evening had rather a dull time, and Miss Jerusha passed almost a sleepless night. The next evening Miss Jerusha was early at the singing school. She took her seat with a disconsolate air, opened her singing book, and commenced singing Hallowell in the following words. As on some lonely building's top, the sparrow tells her moan, far from the tents of joy and hope, I sit and grieve alone. On former occasions, when the scholars were singing before school commenced, the moment the master opened the door they broke off short, even if they were in the midst of a tune. But now, when the master entered, Miss Jerusha kept on singing. She went through the whole tune after Mr. Crotchet came in, and went back and repeated the latter half of it with a loud and full voice that caused a laugh among the scholars and divers streaks of red to pass over the master's face. At the close of the evening's exercises, Miss Jerusha hurried on her shawl and bonnet and watched the movements of the master. She perceived he went out directly after Betsy Buck, and she hastened after them with becoming speed. She contrived to get between Miss Buck and the master as they walked along the road, and kept Mr. Crotchet in close conversation with her, or rather kept herself in close conversation with Mr. Crotchet, till they came to the corner that turned down to Mr. Buck's house. Here Mr. Crotchet left her somewhat abruptly, and walked by the side of Miss Betsy toward Mr. Buck's. This was more than Miss Jerusha's nerves could well bear. She was under too much excitement to proceed on her way home. She stopped and gazed after the couple as they receded from her. As their forms became indistinct in the darkness of the night, she turned and followed them, just keeping them in view till they reached the house. The door opened, and to her inexpressible horror, they both went in. It was past ten o'clock, too. She was greatly puzzled. The affair was entirely inexplicable to her. It could not be, however, that he would stop many minutes, and she waited to see the result. Presently a light appeared in the floor-room, and from the mellowness of that light a fire was evidently kindled there. Miss Jerusha approached the house and reconnoitred. 
She tried to look in at the window, but a thick curtain effectively prevented her from seeing anything within. The curtain did not quite reach to the top of the window, and she thought she saw the shadows of two persons before the fire thrown against the ceiling. She was determined by some means or other to know the worst of it. She looked round the dooryard and found a long piece of board. She thought by placing this against the house by the side of the window, she might be able to climb up and look over the top of the curtain. The board was accordingly raised on one end and placed carefully by the side of the window, and Miss Jerusha eagerly commenced the task of climbing. She had reached the top of the curtain and cast one glance into the room, where, sure enough, she beheld Mr. Crotchet seated close by the side of Miss Betsy. At this interesting moment, from some cause or other, either from her own trembling, for she was exceedingly agitated, or from the board not being properly supported at the bottom, it slipped and canted, and in an instant one half of the window was dashed with a tremendous crash into the room. Miss Jerusha fell to the ground, but not being much injured by the fall, she sprang to her feet and ran with the fleetness of a wild deer. The door opened, and out came Mr. Crotchet and Mr. Buck, and started in the race. They thought they had a glimpse of some person running up the road when they first came out, and Mr. Crotchet's long legs measured off the ground with remarkable velocity. But the fright had added so essentially to Miss Jerusha's powers of locomotion that not even Mr. Crotchet could overtake her, and her pursuers soon lost sight of her in the darkness of the night, and gave up the chase and returned home. Miss Jerusha was not seen at the singing school after this, and Miss Brown said she stayed home because she had a cough. Notwithstanding, there were many rumors and surmises afloat, and some slanderous insinuations thrown out against Miss Jerusha Brown. Yet it was never ascertained by the neighbors for a certainty who it was that demolished Mr. Buck's window. One item farther remains to be added to this veritable history, and that is that in three months from this memorable night, Miss Betsy Buck became Miss Crotchet of Quavertown. End of section three.